Hello there, and welcome to Banana Split. I'm Haley Christensen, and this is going to be a podcast where I just tell you about my life, my experiences. Hopefully you can relate. If you can't relate, I hope you can learn. I am just going to start out with a little bit of storytelling because I think it's something that I'm good at, and I think it's a good way for us to learn in a casual and kind of fun way. I think I should start at the very beginning at first by introducing the amazing individuals who brought this banana into the world. My father was born in Seoul, South Korea in the early 70s and was adopted by a family living in Hawaii when he was five years old. My mother is a white woman who was born and raised in the great state of Arizona. They met when my dad was in Arizona for business school and got married in 1998. I was born a little less than three years later in December of the year 2000. Barely made the cutoff there. Good year to be born. And here I am today, 20 years later. Now that you've had that brief explanation of the people I came from, uh, that context should help you. I think as I get older, I realize more and more how influential they were in my life. But I also introduce them because I think it's interesting that I'm a literal combination of these people. And yet I have such vastly different life experiences than either of them. And I look at my white mother in some ways, and I look at my Korean father in other ways. The whole person, it can sometimes feel like I occupy this empty space that has no real foundation or definition. Not that I'm the first mixed person, or even the first mixed person of Korean and white descent, but each of us has such a different experience based on how we look, how we're raised, where we live, and it really makes it complicated to figure out what space you occupy. It can be hard to figure yourself out. And that's what this podcast is all about, figuring myself out. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but I'm excited to explore, and I hope you're excited to come along with me. And here, I am so excited to have my lovely mama on. Say hello. Hello. This is my mother, the beautiful Diane Christensen, and she so kindly agreed to talk to me today. <laughs> well, you are one of my very favorite people. Aw, I'm going to rub that in my siblings' faces for a while. <laughs> <laughs> when you found out that you were pregnant with me, or when you and Dad decided you wanted to have kids, did you have any concerns thinking about how I wouldn't be white when I was born, or how your kids wouldn't be white, but you're white? Uh, That's an interesting question. It's funny because it kind of goes back to things that my mother said years and years ago. And it was a different time. But I can remember conversations with her when I was a teenager where she would talk about mixed race children that we knew and say, look, isn't that sad? Because they don't belong with this group and they don't belong with the other group they're kind of in the middle and don't feel like they belong to either. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of her examples were of kids who were half black, half Caucasian. Mm -hmm. So I guess when I met your dad and we got married and we wanted to start a family, I I guess I didn't really associate it with those comments that she had made. And she had died many years before I met your dad. Mm -hmm. But I I do wonder if she would have seen the situation of our mixed race marriage differently than I did or differently than my dad. And no one in the family ever 
said anything disparaging at all about our relationship or our marriage. So I, I don't know if it would have been different if my mother was still, were still around, but for me, it was interesting because when you were born, I guess I had this idea in mind of what my kids might look like, or I don't, I don't know whether I did, but I must <laughs> have, because when you were born and I looked over where the nurses were cleaning you up, I thought, that's not what I expected at all. <laughs> Whose baby is that? <laughs> right? And so I, I guess there is a little bit of that, not because I wasn't amazed by you or I didn't think you were awesome and beautiful, but I just guess if I were going to have a white baby, I think I would have had a better idea. I don't know, maybe, and, and maybe I would have been just as surprised. <laughs> but I thought, oh my goodness, I think part of me, and, and this is more, if you were a baby, I did not worry about it at all, mm-hmm. honestly. Nobody thought that you weren't mine. That wasn't <laughs> true of Sydney, your sister, right? Because I was. I got comments a couple of times. When did you adopt Mm. your baby? Mm -hmm. But with you, that didn't happen because I think we looked similar enough in features that people didn't wonder. Or maybe you looked more half than she looked more Asian. Yeah. That's Um, interesting that you say that because, yeah, I have had a lot of comments from people, even in recent years, just when I'll show them a picture of our family and they'll point to Sydney or Ava and be like, oh, they look way more Asian than you do. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. And I guess I do look more mixed. I think when I was little, I thought that I looked more like dad just because as a kid, I think you looked to very surface features of skin and hair color. Mm -hmm. And so I just assumed I looked more like dad. But the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, no, I definitely have your face. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you you definitely take after my mother's side of the family. Mm -hmm. And I'll look at that. At pictures of my sister when she was a kid or a teenager I'm like oh my gosh that's that's totally Haley's I, I can totally see your features in hers so that's it's really interesting right but your coloration is more your dad's yeah and I think I didn't worry about it much when you were little kids because kids I think I don't know I guess when I started to worry about it not worry but think about it more was as you became teenagers and would you identify with the Asian side of you in a way that isolated you from me? That's yeah something I worried about. Yeah. Not not because I think you would do it because you didn't accept or love that part of you, but because you're surrounded by people who are white. Yeah. And you look different to people who are white. Mm-hmm. in ways that might make them mention your ancestry more, might make you more hyper aware of it and make you think, I guess I don't belong to this group because mm-hmm. they keep asking me what group I belong to. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that. I don't know if I've ever talked to you about it specifically, but just that feeling of, I know I'm white and I'm just as white as I am Korean, but no one who is white is going to see me and be like, you're part of our sort of in-group right? because of how I look. And even with my cousins yeah, you're growing not up. you're one of us. You're, yeah. you're, uh, you're another. Yeah. yeah. 
And even when with cousins growing up on your side of the family, I'm blood related to all of my cousins from your siblings. And yet it was a weird disconnect where as a kid, I don't know that I thought about it too much, but in my mind it was like we're less related or we have less yeah. of a connection because we don't look alike or the same. Whereas with dad's Korean siblings' kids, I looked more like them. And so I felt like they were more obviously my cousins, even though we didn't have that blood connection. It is interesting because you know you're from the same family, but you don't look it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that that would probably make you wonder, just as you did with your friends, do my cousins see me as something, someone different? Mm-hmm. Because of all of their cousins, all their cousins are white. Yeah. Except you guys. It's true. I actually want to go back to what you said about what your mom said when you were younger, because I never met her. And I think it's interesting that she said that because something that I was thinking of when creating this podcast was that I kind of occupy this weird space that's not Korean and not white, but somewhere in the middle, but not the same middle as other mixed people might be because because I look less Asian than other mixed people and I feel less white than some mixed people and it's all of these weird nuances. So... I think that's interesting that you bring that up because I might have thought of it as a pretty negative comment, but I think I have a little more sympathy for it as I'm trying to figure out, because it is hard Mm -hmm. being in that gray area. But I also think that I like who I am. I'm just not 100% sure of who that is all the time. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think my mother's comment was, honestly some leaders of the church made very racist comments and were not supportive of mixed race marriage. Mm -hmm. My mom was, you know, she wanted to do the right thing and believe the right things. Yeah. And, and she was not very flexible in her thinking, right? I'm Mm -hmm. very open-minded. And you think about your aunt Deanne and she's much more open-minded than mother tended to be. Mm -hmm. Now as life went on, who knows what would have happened, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, in heaven, she's got a lot of time to think about it, right? <laughs> she's got, you know, <laughs> this family that I still think she's caring for from beyond the grave that, um, and she loves and adores all of you. So I know that she doesn't have the same opinions as she had mm-hmm. at that time. But I just think, what if her message, what if her message had gotten through to me and I believed it? At the time, I thought, I don't know. I don't know if I I buy that. And, you know, it's hard for you to believe that I wouldn't just believe something someone told me. (laughs) me Yeah, you're so easy to convince. (laughs) It's so not me. Yeah, it's so not me. But uh, I think, would I even have given your dad a chance Mm -hmm. if I had let that thinking really linger? Right. Yeah. And I knew people as a young adult who were Latino, who were Asian, who are, you know, who had different um, family backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And some of them were treated horribly by the families of people they dated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So maybe you can talk a little bit about that, though. Mm -hmm. Um, You've had, you've dated people who are white, you've dated people who are Korean. Mm -hmm. So um, do you feel like, do you feel more comfortable with the idea of one or the other? Honestly, I am not sure. This is something... Okay, if you ask my friends, they will say that I want a nice Korean man because I do mention it a lot, especially on BYU campus. It's kind of my go-to line where I say, oh, I would date, but there are just no nice Korean men here. Hilarious. (laughs) Well, I I mean, I'm with you, sister, because I really (laughs) like a great Korean guy. Yeah, exactly. How'd you get so lucky? And I think you have a great dad. (laughs) And I think it's, you know, maybe part of you is thinking, I want the same kind of awesome dad for my kids that I Mm -hmm. have. That's actually a great point because, I mean, the closest relationship I've ever been around is you and dad. And so... I think when I think of the ideal marriage and family that I want to have, it includes a guy who's like dad. And part of that, oh my gosh, whole Oedipus complex here, <laughs> is that he's Korean. And I've never been that close with a white man in a father figure position. Well, yeah, because you're not close to your grandparents, mm-hmm. your grandpas who are white, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Or even someone that you're that maybe is has a grandfather like role, like say Uncle Drew, who's mm-hmm. white, right? Yeah, you're not as close to him um, as I am to Aunt Marine. So and I, I, yeah, I yeah. do think it can be hard to imagine a guy as good as your dad who doesn't look like your dad. Yeah. Oh my gosh! They for sure are out there. you gotta give them a chance perhaps maybe (laughs) i was saying earlier in the intro for this episode that i think it's interesting that i came from you and dad but my life experiences are so different than the ones either of you have had and so that's another thing that places me in this weird place where i feel like i'm split between what parts of you i am what parts of him i am and then this gaping hole in the middle that Mm -hmm. is just really dark and scary sometimes and hard to figure out. Right. But I think your dad would probably have a lot more of a connection with you because Mm -hmm. he was between two worlds, too, being a a Korean adoptee in a white family. Mm -hmm. I think he probably felt some of the same doubts and... yeah. And I should probably talk to him <laughs> about those. Oh, would it hurt, right? Would yeah. It hurt? I think he would have, um, there, there would be a much better chance of connection and, like, advice that helps. And I guess when in these situations where you guys are getting racist comments, mm-hmm. I just, I get heartbroken and angry and don't know what to do. But maybe your dad who's experienced this kind of thing would know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we really talked about race and sensitive topics like that a whole lot. 
when I was younger, either because I hadn't experienced them yet or because it just never came up naturally. So, well, yeah, and I mean, that's that is often the way that your dad and I parent. We mm-hmm. wait for things to come up that we need to address because I don't, I guess we've always thought when kids are ready to talk about them, they'll come up and we'll talk about them. But we could have been more proactive probably about issues of race and it's becoming clearer that we should have. Yeah. But we didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for acknowledging that. I do think it's something I've had to come to terms with in recent years more than ever. Well, and, and you've, you've heard it before, but you're a guinea pig, mm-hmm. right? You're turning out pretty awesome, so I can't <laughs> say that that's attributable to us as your parents, or specifically me as your mother. Oh. But I, um, having a guinea pig, or being a guinea pig, means that it's in, in it's important for you to be honest with us yeah, about mm-hmm. what worked and what didn't. Yeah. And your siblings are very different from you. So it's not as though it's not a perfect science. What you have to say <laughs> is going to help, help us figure out everything we need to do with your siblings, mm-hmm. but your perspective will help us to do this job a little better. Certainly could always stand to do that. Well, thank you for talking with me. I know this is probably very different from how we usually talk to each other, but I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. I think um, I've liked talking with you on kind of a an intellectual level about mm-hmm. things that we usually just reminisce about, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it's different when you're looking at it through the lens of understanding. Thank you again to my mom for being willing to come on to this platform and be more vulnerable with me than we usually are with each other. I think this has allowed me to see her not just as the person who raised me, but as a person who is still raising people of color and who is also learning. And I think this is a good stepping stone in the direction of me figuring out who I am, and what my deal is. (laughs) I think that's where I'm going to leave us for this episode. In my upcoming episode, I hope to kind of explore my relationship with Asian-ness through the lens of friendship and explore that topic with people who I met later in my life. And I hope that you'll stay tuned and keep following along this journey with me. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time. Welcome back to Banana Split. If you're here, I am so glad that you're returning and that you're still interested in coming along with me in this weird attempt to find myself or maybe just talk into the void, potentially. Before we get too far into anything, I think I should probably introduce myself a little better in case there's anyone who doesn't personally know me who happens upon this podcast. I don't want you to be so terribly confused. (laughs) My name is Haley Christensen, and I am a sophomore at Brigham Young University. I am a writer. I'm actually doing this podcast as part of a final project for a women's lit class, And it's not something I ever imagined myself doing, 
But when I was given free creative reign with this project, it was something that I, I really wanted as to do. A writer, a performer, and an artist in different ways. As a college student, I'm an English major, so writing is pretty much my main focus, which is why this format is so out of the box for me. I normally just write final papers, but for my women's literature class, my professor gave me free reign to do something really creative to explore and try to parse out the details of my life and I guess sort of my biography. It sounds weird to say that it's sort of a biographical project because I mean I'm 20. Not many 20-year-olds can have a good biography and I don't think I would either. But this allows me to kind of dig deeper into just a small part of who I am and explore that in a lot more detail and in a more raw format. Because with writing, I'm able to edit things a million times. And if I come across a sentence that I think is too personal or that I don't think other people will like, I can just delete it or rephrase it in a more appealing way. Whereas with this audio, I can edit it to a certain degree. I can cut things out. But there's a certain level of personal connection that is always going to be there just because it is my voice and me speaking directly into this microphone. Today, I thought I would take a different approach to talking about myself and focus more on my Asian-ness And the way I want to do that is by bringing in a very close friend of mine who grew up with me in high school and attempt to dig into some of those conversations and see how we relate on the level of just being Asian and how she sees me as an Asian person. She's a very insightful person, and so I'm sure she will be able to teach me some things about myself that I don't even realize. And this person is my lovely friend, Erica Britton, who was adopted from China as a baby, grew up in Arizona just like me, and she's just one of the most amazingly intelligent, artistic, and kind people that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, so I'm glad we're able to talk to her today. Okay, so let's just dive right into it. (laughs) First of all, I want to give a little background on how we met because, uh, not that it's super interesting, but gives a little context to our relationship. So we met our freshman year in Mr. Dubas's biology class, is that correct? Yes, honors, freshman bio, seventh (laughs) hour. Oh, seventh hour, you're right. That's why I was always falling asleep in that class. (laughs) (laughs) That and I hate biology. Nothing's changed. Yeah, mood. So what did you think of me when you first met me? If you can remember. (sighs) I know, I'm trying to think back. I think I remember walking in um, either the first day of classes or, like, you know, early on in the semester and just kind of noticing... I was like, okay, cool, another Asian. That's fun. <laughs> um, but we, we didn't sit next to each other because it was split up. All, you know, whatever, seating charts. Um, and I think that's kind of the only time we interacted with you. And I don't know if it was after the first choir concert. Some sort of choir event. 
then I was like, oh, she's in choir because my sister was also in choir with you. And so then I was like, oh, okay, like that's Haley. Like uh, uh, my sister's talked about her before. And I think at that point, we'd also kind of interacted in class a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I know we got moved to like, sit next to each other. And really, my like lasting or <laughs> I don't want to say my first impression of you was just like, wow, she's smart and she sleeps during class a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Did I really sleep that much during class? I don't know if you did or if that's just like because I remember uh-huh. when we sat next to each other and you would fall asleep like me and Kaylee yeah. who's a friend of ours who sat next to us uh, you were in the middle of the two of us um, <laughs> and anytime Mr. Dukas would look over like one of us would kind of like nudge you or oh like pretend gosh. that we were like talking to you to make it look like you were awake oh gosh if Mr. Dubis ever listens to this I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> I can remember waking up and looking straight at him too and just us looking at each other and both knowing but not acknowledging that I definitely didn't <laughs> sleep until that moment. Ugh, it's okay, you got good grades. <laughs> That's true. Uh, used to. Uh, one of your first thoughts about me was that you recognized that I was also Asian. Yes. I just want to know, did you immediately, just from how I looked, know I was Asian? Or did I say something that made you recognize I was Asian? I know it's probably a confusing question, but... <laughs> no, no, no. I, I get it. Um, I think it was just, you know, how you look. Someone's going to say it. You got some of those trademark, more East Asian features. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about this and trying to remember, you know, my first thoughts when meeting you. I didn't know, you know, quote, unquote, what kind of Asian you were. Mm. And I think my sister told me that you were Korean, or you said you were Korean or something. Someone told me you were Korean. Maybe it was <laughs> you, maybe it wasn't you. Some, I learned you were Korean. Yes. Um, and then I saw, at a choir event, I saw your mom standing in the line of people going inside mm-hmm. with, I think, Ava, uh, yeah. your younger sister. But I saw her, and she said, oh, hi, Erica. And she were talking to me, and I was like, oh hi and she's like yeah I'm Haley's mom and I was like oh and I had a weird thought I was like um is, is Haley adopted <laughs> so she looks you know pretty Korean to me but this lady this very nice lady is not very Korean <laughs> and so yeah and so then I went home and I was like talking to my sister I said is Haley adopted she was no I was like oh okay and so that's how I learned that you were uh half white so um, I forget what the first question was, but that was one of my early interactions oh. with figuring out exactly, you know, where your ethnic identity lies. <laughs> yeah, and that's interesting because, of course, you're adopted, and so mm-hmm. we both have that weird experience of being Asian and looking somewhat Asian, but we both <laughs> have white mothers, or mm-hmm. mostly white mothers. I know your mom's Hispanic, too. Yeah. And it is confusing, I think, for, I don't know, I don't want to say other people necessarily, but I think being seen with your family and seeing a parent who doesn't look how you expect the parent of a Asian-looking child to physically be, I think that is a little confusing to other people. And it's had some interesting responses just from, you know, my end of being adopted, um, but I don't know what kind of 
interactions you and your mom have had out in public. There was always this funny thing that people would say, and to think of a specific example, we were dress shopping once, and the lady working there came up, asked us if we needed anything, and then she was just making small talk, and she said, oh, your husband must be so beautiful, like, he must have great genes. And I was like, what a weird <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> oh, that's so awkward. That's so awkward. Yeah, how awkward for my mom, like, yep, it was all him. All the beauty that's here. I think she called us exotic. She said, oh, they look so exotic. Oh, no. Me and my sister. Oh, I hate that word. Yeah. Well, and the hard thing, too, especially with so many conversations about microaggressions, things like that, I would consider to be a microaggression, but it's not with any malicious intent. And you know, I'm sure that one of those, there's a compliment in her mind. It's like, oh, you know, that's like a, such a positive, like, descriptor. But it's hard when this kind of language and these kind of phrases and ways to think about Asians in America is to call them exotic or any other ethnicity that's not white. So to be exotic, it's really well, difficult, you know, but we're, I think society's progressing. We're having conversations about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's one of those words that makes you feel weird. Yeah, yeah. All right, since we're on the topic of exotic women and how that's how the world can see Asian and mixed people, such as me and you, I thought we should talk about what happened in Atlanta this past month, the horrific shooting that took place there, and how it's really rooted in the fetishization of Asian women. Mm-hmm, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I wouldn't even feel such a need to talk about this on this platform except that I felt personally attacked by people in my life when I would bring up the topic right after it happened and they would try and say that it wasn't motivated by race in any way and did you have people say something similar to you actually I would say no but I think that's more just because of the community of people that I talk to majority of the time because I am part of a on-campus ministry at the University of Arizona called Epic Movement, which is an Asian-American branch of Campus Crusades for Christ, which is a college ministry that is across the U.S. and international. And so after that shooting happened, some of the leaders of Epic made like announcements and like said, you know, if you need to talk about this, you know, to process what happened, and you know, we can talk about this anti-Asian hate. Like this is a space where we can do that. And so after that happened, a lot of the people that I talked to, they weren't denying that it was racially motivated. And they weren't denying that there was a lot of systemic issues that were rooted in this act of violence, or that were contributing to the defense of the man's actions. And so I think in that way, I was very fortunate to have that kind of support and acknowledgement, even when I wasn't addressing that exactly or spending a lot of time myself thinking about that. But I had other people who were talking about it, and I had other people who could help me react and understand the situation. But I think it's interesting that you, you were saying that you didn't have that. So were you getting that reaction from your family, other students, or, or, you know, just, like, on social media? Yeah, I think it's part of being a person of color on BYU campus, honestly, 
is that you don't have the support that you necessarily need all the time. And in fact, this is interesting because this podcast is part of a project for my women's lit class. And my professor, Kristen Matthews, was the first person to ask me how I was doing after the shooting happened. I had a meeting with her the next morning and she asked me about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, this and this and this. And just talked to her for a bit. But she was the first person outside of like an immediate friend that I had reached out to to ask me how I was feeling at that point. Which Can I ask, is your professor a person of color or are they white? Oh no, she's a white woman, but okay. I just think she's very aware of her students and especially her students that don't exactly fit the BYU, uh, I don't want to call it a status quo because that's such a cliche thing to say, but you know, not the... The majority. Yeah, not in the binary Mm-hmm. So that was interesting to me. And after that, I started to see things, obviously, on social media. I had friends mm-hmm. posting stories saying, yes, it was a tragedy, but it had nothing to do with race. And even in some of my classes, and someone said, I don't want to minimize these people's deaths, but you can't use it as an excuse to call someone racist. And that just made me ugh, the biggest eye roll. <laughs> Yeah. But I think that's kind of... That's frustrating. Yeah, that's kind of just the environment at BYU. It's conservative. And so as soon as people hear anything about someone being racist, they don't necessarily want to call it racism. Mm Mm-hmm. So I do wish I had something of a support group around me. You know, you are one of my closest Asian friends, and I have a couple other Asian friends who I'm close to, but none of them are on campus right now because of COVID. My two close Asian friends at BYU are not within my immediate circle. I can't just run to them, and sometimes you don't want to call them because you feel like, oh, this is just an issue I'm having. Yeah, I don't know if this is off-topic for what I'm talking about, but how did your family... Like, did your family talk about it at all, or did they check in on you, or did you bring it up to them or anything? I think I probably brought it up to my mom, although I wouldn't say she was unaware of it. I think we probably talked about it together, but I don't think we really talked about it much. It's hard to breach those topics with my parents sometimes, and Mm -hmm. I know that we have very similar political views and views of society and so when I talked to them about it it was man this was messed up that guy's crazy he deserves to be punished etc etc and that's about it Mm -hmm. so nothing too in-depth but it is nice knowing that they are on my side of the argument if I was to need backup (laughs) yeah I, I don't know, I hadn't like, thought about, I know we've, we've talked about how difficult it is for you being in the, um, the I don't want to say minority, but, you know, <laughs> going to a, a majority white school and being mm-hmm. Asian, and my apologies for this, too, totally me dropping the ball as well, but, you know, I don't think we've really talked about this a whole lot. So where do you find 
your support system? Or, do, you know, you've mentioned having a few friends who are Asian at BYU. Are those really your only connections to other Asians yeah. on campus or nearby? I think they are. I feel like I'm having a realization as I'm talking to you that I probably don't talk about my feelings in relation to being Asian American enough or maybe even at all usually, which is very sad to say. But even with the shootings, I didn't talk to anyone except for those couple of friends I have who I knew would relate to me and those casual kind of passing conversations with my parents. And that is partially on me because I need to reach out to people. But also I think that the environment I'm in, I don't have many people to turn to. And I even get annoyed sometimes with myself and I'm just like, oh my gosh, get over it. You don't need to talk to anyone about this. You're being very dramatic. And so instead I just turn whatever issues I have into this is a me problem because I'm the only Asian person in my apartment and the only Asian person in some of my classes. I guess I just don't feel like I have anyone that immediately comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. Being usually the only Asian, do you feel or have you had the experience of with all of these things happening, people come to you and be like, you know, how, how should I respond to this? So, you know, you're Asian, like, what what should my response be? You know, how, how can I do better? Have you had any of those kind of interactions with people? Oh, I definitely have. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and sometimes I really appreciate when people reach out to me. Like I said, my professor reached out, and it was right after it happened, and it felt good that someone had just asked me about it at all. And then a couple days later, I had an experience with one of my roommates, and she asked me about it. And I had a totally different reaction. I was just annoyed. And I think it was just that she came up and said, oh, I heard about the shootings in Atlanta. What can I do for you? How are you doing? And it felt so pitying to me. And also it was a little more distance from the actual event that for some reason my brain's immediate reaction was, I don't know, it flipped a switch where I was like, I'm fine. Don't talk to me about it. It's fine. It happened. It was awful. You don't need to coddle me, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think that reaction was just kind of your personal reaction, or do you think that, that was, that's influenced by the idea in Asian communities that we don't share pain, that you put on a brave face, that you, you have to always be the best possible presentation and you can't be vulnerable was that kind of your feeling or do you think that that was more of just your personal response and just not the reaction that you were wanting from that friend that's interesting because my family will always tell you that I am an emotional person but I don't think that I have a tendency to show my emotions to anyone but my family and maybe my very close friends and so I think part of it is that I was like, okay, we're not going to have a deep conversation right now, and we never will have a deep conversation about this, because my business and, like you said, kind of the Asian stoicism of, I'm not going to show myself in that condition to you, because it's not the place or the time. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, now I feel bad. I need to go apologize to my roommate. (laughs) 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 For something that happened a while ago. (laughs) But also, I think part of it was that this roommate and other people I know were posting a lot of things on their stories, their Instagram stories, you know, those nice little images with, you have to stand up for Asian Americans, Asian hate is real, you know the kind. Yeah. And I don't think people should criticize people purely for posting those on their stories because you shouldn't activism shame. But at the same time, it just made me less receptive to what she had to say because I was like, well, what do you really want to do? You already posted our things on your stories and now you're just going to talk to me about my feelings. What's that going to do? Mm-hmm. So definitely a personal problem there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that kind of thought process, I've been having a similar thing, not necessarily with other people. I think just think about my own reactions to, you know, last summer with the strong resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement um, and a lot of, like you're saying, social media activism and a lot of things of just, you know, pointing out all of the horrible things going on, which I think is good that people are talking about it, but it's overwhelming. But between everything that's been happening in social activism this last year, I feel like I've found myself falling into a loop of, okay, something horrible, something devastating, catastrophic happens. It gets posted about on Instagram. You have to repost. You have to show that you're in the know, you're educated, and then you have to reach out to someone. Because, you know, all those posts say, check in on your Asian American friends, check in on your black friends, you know, check in on whoever is part of this community that's just been affected by this event. And so kind of, at this point, I was starting to recognize a sort of, like, kind of checklist that oh my, gosh, my response was so having. Right. No, you're so right. I yeah. And my roommate even posted that exact one, the check in on your Asian friends. And that is probably part of why I was so ticked at her. <laughs> yeah. And like, I had a kind of similar thing where a friend from my classes this past semester, and we had an across this semester, after it happened, she like said, you know, you've been on my mind, which we had been talking back and forth, so I didn't quite really think about that. She's like, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm doing okay. And then we talked about the shootings, and I was like, yeah, it's really horrible, and I'm still trying to figure out like how I'm responding to it. And she's like, yeah, you know, if you need anything, like, let me know. You know, I can hear for you, supporting you, and praying for you. She's also Christian. And so I was like, that was kind of really nice. And then when I started seeing more of those posts, like checking on your Asian friends, I didn't devalue my friend reaching out. But that just got me thinking about, I don't want to say the skeptical nature of support, because I think someone taking the time and effort to reach out and make sure you're okay, because something that's happened is traumatic. I don't want to devalue that, but there's the question of why did you need this event happening to check in on your friends who are in a minority group? Why Would you reach out if you hadn't seen that post sort of feeling? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, and that's a way bigger conversation, but it's just one of those things where I'm realizing I, yeah, I am Asian American, and I didn't give that much thought growing up. It's kind of, it's last year, I'm just realizing there's a lot more that comes with that. And being Asian in America, that comes with a lot of things, too, that I'm figuring out. And I've talked to my parents about this. It's, I don't want to say any more difficult having parents who aren't Asian, but it is a different kind. Like, I feel more removed because I didn't grow up with 
the direct link to culture. I didn't grow up with like the family mm-hmm. dynamics, even though I grew up surrounded by that because I grew up in a Chinese church and a lot of the families were very traditional, you know, first-gen immigrants or second-generation. So I understood things, but I didn't experience it. And so I think my reaction to a lot of things that have been happening was like, I don't know if I can feel these things because, yes, I am Asian-American, but I didn't grow up with these experiences. And like, I don't feel like I can claim ownership of or claim part of this pain and, and feel genuine. So it's, I don't know, it's a very messy situation and it's, I think, just part of growing up and figuring myself yeah. out, but it's, <laughs> Girl, it's I weird. Feel you. <laughs> I definitely relate to the not knowing how much you can claim or if you can claim certain feelings and that's what this is all about is just talking it out because I certainly don't have any idea where I lie on the Asian scale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because your dad is Korean, but he's also adopted. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, how's that going for you? <laughs> you know that in the past, just even since high school, I feel like I've been trying to immerse myself more in Korean culture. And mm-hmm. growing up, my my parents would buy me the occasional hanbok, or my aunt would get me. She bought me a hanbok once, and so we do that. And we'd go out to eat Korean food every once in a while. My mom knew how to make Korean food, so we would have it. But I didn't feel a super strong connection with Korea or that identity. And I'm kind of working on that. It's kind of a work in progress for me. I'm taking Korean right now at BYU, which is kicking my butt, by the way. Learning (laughs) language stinks. (laughs) It's, It's awesome because I've met a lot of people who really appreciate the culture. But it also is just... I sometimes sit in class and I hear a sentence and I think to myself, I don't know what that means. And then my brain goes from that to you should know what it means. You should have been speaking Korean since you were a baby. You're not Korean enough. That's why you can't understand this. As if, Mm -hmm. even if I didn't grow up speaking Korean, that if I step into a Korean class and hear those words, my blood should just make me able to understand it. Your ancestors will just rise from the grave. Their spirit will fill you with Korean-speaking yes. knowledge. Mulan-style, my ghosty ancestors will come out <laughs> from their graves. <laughs> but I don't have that, and sometimes it does make it hard. Oh, my gosh. That reminds me. The other day, one of my classmates said, Ugh, I just wish I was Korean and could speak Korean. And I kind of said under my breath, Well, I am Korean, and I'm here. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. And I know she didn't mean it in any malicious way, but it did give me an uncomfy feeling of, so am I not Korean because I'm here learning with you? Yeah. I know that's not true in my heart, but sometimes when people say things like that, it just reaffirms worries that I have and doubts I have in myself and in who I am. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you for joining me, Erica. I really enjoy getting to talk yeah. to you. And too. Hopefully Thank you, you for having me. You regret too much because <laughs> it's all going in. Yeah, I will cut nothing. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert: I had to cut quite a bit because we did talk for almost two hours just about identity and about things that really interest us in regards to our race and things that stick out to us when we're 
reading books and when we're watching movies. So if you're interested in hearing about any of that, particularly our conversation on representation in media, let me know because all that footage is there and I'm sure Erica would be willing to talk even more about all of that. Just in closing, I want to reiterate again that this whole process is progressive for me and I'm learning as I go. And today I came to some realizations about how I connect with other people in regard to my race and how I see the way people reach out to me in different ways. And I think that all calls for improvement. And I look forward to looking back on this again and again and reminding myself of the things that I need to keep on doing. Thank you again for listening, and I hope I'll see you here for our next episode. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Banana Split. I can't believe that this project has come so far. It's been stressful, but really exciting and insightful for me. And today, I kind of wanted to focus on the idea of being mixed and being hapa. Since I know that word isn't commonly used in all circles, I'll give you just a quick definition. Hapa is actually a Hawaiian word, and it's used to refer to a person who is partially of Asian or Pacific Islander descent. And I, it hasn't always been in my vocabulary, but over the past couple of years, I've definitely come to connect with it. And I will be using it pretty regularly throughout this episode of the podcast, so I just wanted everyone to know what it means so that you can understand our conversation a little bit better. I feel the most comfortable when I'm with other people of mixed Asian descent. I have a lot of Hapa friends and I have my own siblings who have the exact same mix as me and I feel this connection to them that I'm not even sure I can describe because I've never thought about it that hard. It's just It just comes naturally to me. For instance, when I moved into the dorms my freshman year, a very scary experience. I had a white roommate. Everyone I had met in the dorm was white. And it was a little off-putting for me, having grown up in a household where there was only one white person, exclusively white person, that is. And all of a sudden, I was in a tiny room with a white girl who I had never met before, surrounded by other white girls who I had never met. And then I met someone named Julia. And as soon as I saw her, I thought to myself, she's Asian, probably mixed, definitely Asian. And I just wanted to be her friend. And that's the first time I really experienced and thought in the moment, oh my gosh, am I just gravitating towards this person because they are Asian? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I think I've done it most of my life. But this is the first experience where I was surrounded by a sea of beautiful and wonderful white girls and just wanted to run to that one person who seemed a little bit like me. Thankfully, Julia is such a great friend that she has agreed to come on here and talk to me about her experiences as a mixed person, my experiences as a mixed person, and 
how she sees me since I don't know quite how I see myself. And hopefully she will be able to speak some truth into this room that I can take into my life. Hello, Julia. Hi. <laughs> this is my lovely friend, Julia. You cannot see her, but she is one of the most beautiful people you could ever oh. hope to meet in your life. Well, thank you. <laughs> She's my hoppa lady. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I was, I recorded a little segment earlier um, about how when I met you, you were... I think the first person I met in our dorm hall that I was like, oh, she's not white. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, I think she's Asian, she, maybe mixed, but she's definitely Asian. And so I was immediately drawn to you. And so I was kind of wondering what you thought of me when we first met. Yeah, so I definitely had the same experience. I don't know if you were the first non-white person that I met in our like dorm, but I definitely remember like when we first talked and I found out that you were also Hapa, I was like, I felt an immediate connection. Um, and I, yeah, that's like how I describe our like first encounter. People are always like, yeah, like me and, me and Haley connected immediately when we found out that we were both um, mixed Asian. <laughs> yeah. And also we have a deeper connection than just being mixed Asian because true. our dads are Asian. <laughs> Yes, which is, I've never, I've actually surprisingly had multiple half-Asian friends in my life, but I've never had another half-Asian friend whose dad is Asian, so oh my that was also big, a big point of connection for us. <laughs> okay, so, uh, as you know by now, I have finally decided <laughs> at this point that this podcast is called Banana Split, and of course, banana could be seen as kind of a derogatory term for a whitewashed Asian person, but I feel like I have a right to claim that word <laughs> and use it to my advantage. And also, bananas are a grapefruit, so why not? <laughs> um, how do you feel about the word banana? Do you use it? Has it been used against you? Like, what's your association with the word? Um, I've actually, I don't think it's ever been used towards me yeah I have I don't know if I've ever used it towards myself either but yeah it's the, it's like kind of the same idea as like whitewashed Asians it's like okay but like let's think about why before <laughs> like think about it before you start to like make fun of people like there's a reason why whether it's the person's choice or not like the underlying reason is because of white supremacy and anti-Asian sentiment like the reason why anyone would choose to distance themselves from their Asian identity, like, at the end of the day, it's white supremacy. So, Julia, we talked about how we immediately connected because we were both Hapa, and we really became close friends over our freshman year, and we're even going to be living together next year. Yay! So exciting. And do you think that our ability to relate to each other in terms of race contributed to why we got so close or why you wanted to live with me in any way? Um, absolutely, yeah. Um, I I wouldn't say I was like, oh, me and Haley are both Papa, like, let's live together. But <laughs> it, it contributed for sure to the, I think, to our relationship. It, it was something that we could relate to, you know, we could relate to each other on a different level than, or just in a different way than most people at BYU, especially on a campus like BYU where it's um, a largely white population, um, having somebody who 
you know, has similar experiences and was a huge factor in our relationship, I think. And then that led to, you know, us being friends and wanting to live together. And I also like the idea of living with somebody who has similar identity to me and then also just like the idea of us being able to kind of share our cultures with each other is super exciting to me. Like I think one of the things that I would always think about you know outside of just like being able to spend time with my friend um when I thought about living together is I'd be like oh I can't wait to you know make each other like Haley can make me Korean food and I can make her Japanese food and like we can share (laughs) our cultures with each other in that way and that that was something that was really exciting to me and it's definitely Um, gonna happen I am gonna exercise my bibimbap making skills Yes, I've been practicing. I've been um, perfecting my miso. I was about to say, you've been talking about your miso soup for a while, and I'm excited to try it. Since you mentioned that often Asian culture can be fetishized in some ways, do you have personal experiences with that in regards to dating? Because that is something I did not anticipate being a problem that has become very prevalent to me when I go out with people. Yes. A big place where it started was um, when I was in high school. I went to a very diverse high school, um, and I had several Asian friends. And there was a group of guys at my high school who who very obviously sought out Asian women um, to, Mm. to date or to, like, pursue. And so that experience has... It, it makes me, it gives me another thing to think about when I'm putting myself out there and, like, within, like, the world of dating. Like, I, I always have to question whether somebody is pursuing me because of just me or, like, because of my race. Like, that's something that I'm, that I think about because I have seen firsthand people that I'm close to and on both sides, you know, my friends have been pursued because solely because of their race and then like people that I'm friends with have been like the perpetrators in Mm -hmm. that so yeah it's an uncomfortable situation to be in because I think it's been a little damaging to my self-esteem when it comes to like romantic relationships because I always have to question people's motives when they Mm -hmm. pursue me yeah and there are always warning signs you know if they ask too much about, oh, when was the last time you went to Korea? Or have you been to Japan? Do you like anime? We could watch anime together. I feel like those kind of things always set off a little dinger in my head where I think, oh, no, this person might have yellow fever. And it's a little dehumanizing almost Yes. to think, did this person ask me out just because I'm Asian? And it's not a fun thing to have to think about because I think a lot of people don't. Yeah. I don't think my roommate Kennedy has to think about these things when she got asked out by guys before she started dating her boyfriend. I don't think it was on her mind. Yeah. And even Um. at school, have you had occasions where you'll see a guy, not even necessarily someone who's pursuing you, but you'll just see a guy rotate through different Asian women as his girlfriends and you'll notice that pattern and in your brain you think, okay, this man has yellow fever, stay away. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Or even, you know, on dating apps, if somebody, uh, if it's a white man who, you know, has in his bio, like on Mutual, for example, like if I see that he's served his mission in Japan. Oh, the missions. He has like some like Japanese characters in his bio, like that's immediate no from me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it feels 
wrong because I'm like, I know you went there to do a great thing. You served a mission. That's awesome. But also, it's just a little bit scary. And you hear so many horror stories about people who come back from their missions from Asia and just exclusively pursue women from that country. Yeah, you have to protect yourself from that situation. Yeah, and like maybe they maybe they don't have yellow fever, and maybe they just serve their mission in Japan and love the culture and put the Japanese writing in their bio, but I cannot risk putting myself in that situation. Thank you for talking to me today, Julia. I know we talk all the time, but I'm glad that this one will be preserved for posterity. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> And I'm glad we were able to parse out some of these either difficult or uncomfortable things to talk about because that's what this podcast is all about for me is just talking things out and seeing how I feel because sometimes I don't realize it until I'm talking to someone like you and then I have a little light bulb moment. So thank you for that. Definitely. Thank you. You know, I'm super grateful for all of the insight my friends have been able to give me, but I know that nothing they say is going to help me entirely understand myself. And there are just some aspects of who I am and what I look like that are going to be pretty exclusive to me, even in just the most nuanced details of what I've experienced. One thing that I experience pretty regularly that a lot of my mixed Asian friends can't relate to is that I am very often mistaken for other races. I think a lot of Hapa people have very Asian traits that set them apart, and so even if people can't tell if they're specifically Vietnamese, Japanese, etc., they can tell that they are something Asian, specifically East Asian. Whereas with me, I often do not get mistaken for East Asian. In fact, that is often people's last guess when trying to figure out what I am. I think I could make a pretty substantial list of all of the different ethnicities I've been mistaken for in my life. As a kid, a lot of people thought I was Hispanic. I've had quite a few people actually mistake me for being part black and A few people have asked me if I was Polynesian. Just any brown ethnicity, (laughs) anything that could make my skin darker, people have assumed I probably am. A quick story that kind of illustrates that is in my freshman year, I was talking to my bishop from church, and he brought up kind of abruptly, I know I should know this, but I don't remember what ethnicity are you? And I was happy to answer that. You know, I love talking about my culture. And so I said, oh, I'm half Korean and half white. And his reaction was, oh, we thought you were Peruvian. I didn't ask him what he meant by we, but I think it was pretty obviously him and the rest of the bishopric had talked about it. And they had assumed that I was Peruvian. I had never heard that one before, I don't think, so that was a new one to add to my little list. And I wasn't offended by it because I get it, and I know that my features are hard to match to a specific ethnicity, but it was just another example to me of, oh, people do think this when they look at me. They do think 
what is she? And they do automatically try to figure it out. And the way he said it almost made it sound like a bet had been placed. Even though I'm sure that's not how it happened, in my brain, the scenario was, oh, look at her. What do you think she is? What are your guesses? And it's a little dehumanizing almost. And rather than being offended or saddened by her not knowing that I was actually Korean, I felt honored that she saw me and thought, you are so beautiful no matter what you are. And also, you remind me so much of someone I love. That experience helped me to appreciate that even though people might not know what I am and they might mistake me for a million different things, it's not necessarily a bad thing. No one is trying to hurt me by trying to figure out what I am. They're just trying to reach out and find a connection with me. And so while I used to feel hurt by people not recognizing my Koreanness, I think I'm starting to see it as them recognizing me as my own person. While that experience was very othering for me, I've also had the opposite experience where being ethnically ambiguous has allowed me to connect with people because they see me as approachable or maybe they assume that I am part of their group. For example, I was visiting New Mexico a couple of summers ago with my Aunt Jill and we visited some of her friends who are indigenous peoples descended from Puebloan tribes and When I walked into the house of this woman, she looked at me and she kind of tilted her head and immediately her eyes just kind of lit up and she said, you look just like my granddaughter. And she started showing me pictures of her granddaughter who's about my age and she said, oh, you could be her twin. Look at you. You're just like her. And (laughs) I think it immediately made her like me more than maybe she would have if I looked either more Asian, more white, who knows, but because I have this face that could be mistaken for a plethora of identities, she immediately connected me to her granddaughter. I recently read an article by Cindy Veronica Vargas titled, What Are You? A Study of Racial Ambiguity. And a quote that stood out to me was, quote, It is perhaps belaboring the obvious to note that the physical character of racial differences ensures that they are constantly observable, even to the casual onlooker. Many people with racial differences look different, all the time. I'm sure every person of color can relate to that, that their race is just the immediate thing that people look at. Because it's obviously there, and it is physically represented most of the time, And it makes them stand out from the crowd. Because this is such a huge part of our identity and what people see, it makes me question what happens to our thoughts when our physical attributes don't match our actual racial or ethnic identities. It's something I've experienced and I have yet to come to terms with exactly how I feel about it. And since I'm talking about my experiences with being 
misidentified or unidentifiable in certain situations. I'd like to turn to a study that a classmate pointed me to called Reevaluation of the Influence of Appearance and Reflected Appraisals for Mixed Race Identity, the Role of Consistent Inconsistent Racial Perception uh, by Jennifer Patrice Sims. And this study is so interesting because it feels so specific to what I've gone through where Jennifer Patrice Sims is trying to find what mixed people feel or how they identify after being ascribed to and interacted with as a member of various races and identities. I encourage you all to look at this article if you're interested in this topic, but I just want to point to a certain section in the conclusion where Jennifer Sims says, quote, on the basis of the results of this study, I argue that for mixed race individuals who are varyingly perceived, racial identity forms via reflected appraisals in that interactions from being consistently inconsistently perceived function as a singular reflected appraisal of mixed race identity. These interactions appear to cause people to question their own perceptions of themselves and, under conditions that allow ethnic options, appear to encourage mixed race identification. And I think I would agree with her conclusion that being inconsistently perceived in my race and ethnicity has caused me to turn to being mixed because it's just so wide and it encompasses anything that I need it to. But I also want to clarify that I don't see that as a bad thing because I think that has created a space for me to connect with even more people than I would if I were very strictly identifying as half Korean, Korean and white. I have met so many people that I have formed great friendships with and our first real spark was over, oh my gosh, you're mixed, I'm mixed. And it didn't matter what ethnicities we were mixed with. As soon as we saw that otherness in each other, it brought us closer together. When I would be misidentified at times, I would think to myself, oh, I wish I was Mexican or I wish I was part Polynesian so that people would see me for that. You know, if they're already assuming this is what I am, maybe I wish I was that. But thinking about how I've been able to connect with people and thinking about what Jennifer Patrice Sims had to say about latching on to mixed as its own identity, I'm grateful that I have that. I'm grateful that there is another space that I can claim as my own and recognizing that that's a unique space that other people can share with me is very encouraging. I'd like to close out this episode with a lovely poem that was featured in Hapa Mag. It's titled On Being Half Asian and White and was written by David Menino. I am both rising sun and western sunset where light romances dark but the world sometimes does not have a place for the in-between, for a shade of gray, for my almost almond eyes, for my off-white skin. Being of two worlds in one shouldn't feel like the edge of a war, where sides are chosen and negotiation constant. So I guess I'll just have to find a way to make the twilight I think I'm last. finally finding the beauty Longer. in the twilight that David describes. Thank you for joining me in the exploration of it, and I hope that anyone listening 
who is also stuck in that twilight, is able to find a way to peacefully live in it.